Hey there, and welcome to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and I am so glad that you joined me today. This podcast is for neurodivergence by a neurodivergent. I'm an ADHD coach with ADHD and ASD, and I am here to help. So let's spend some time together now and maybe learn a few things. Hi, friends, and welcome back to Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, and this week on the podcast, we're going to be talking about something a little heavier. And the reason I want to be upfront about this is because grief is a challenging emotion, and that is the thing that we're going to be discussing on the podcast today. I do want to give a trigger warning that as I'm discussing grief and discussing my own journey, my experience with grief also includes some pregnancy loss. So if that is a topic that is hard for you or uncomfortable, I just want to prepare you that that will likely come up in today's episode. But if we don't talk about these difficult things, then they will continue to be taboo subjects, and that makes it so much harder for the people who are actually experiencing these types of grief because they feel like they have to hide. And this is something that the ADHD community is so aware of because we constantly feel like we need to hide ourselves because ADHD is still stigmatized. And don't even get me started on the stigmatization of autistic people. I could probably do a whole nother episode on that. But I will be talking about how both autism and ADHD have affected my grief process, but really focusing in on that ADHD piece. So in today's episode, I hope that I'm able to provide you guys some understanding, some compassion, some acceptance, but then also some strategies to help with the emotional dysregulation that can very easily be triggered by intense emotions like grief. But before we dive in headfirst into this week's episode, I want to remind you of my other resources that I have available. You can find me over on TikTok as the ADHD Lady. I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as that. And of course, there is my website, which has a slew of resources, theadhdlady.org. I do have new coaching groups and webinars coming up, so don't forget to check all that out on that website. And if you enjoy the podcast, please make sure that you like and subscribe. Every little bit helps. Now back to the topic at hand. So there's a reason that I picked this topic today. February 3rd of 2018, I was 20 weeks pregnant with a beautiful baby boy until 8, 13 a.m. when he was born sleeping. Now, at this point, I did not know about my ADHD or autism diagnosis. I just knew that I was always a very sensitive person. I was made fun of for it my whole life by friends, family, and of course, the bullies. Yep, I was a drama queen. I was a crybaby. I have always felt things very deeply. But when it came to grief, that wasn't exactly how I presented. I could sit and watch a movie and then completely fall apart. But when a big, hard thing happened, like losing a loved one, that wasn't always the initial reaction. My first actual experience with grief was losing my gram. I was a senior in high school. It was really unexpected. I hadn't lost someone like that yet. And actually, with her, I was supposed to see her the next day in the hospital. We knew that she wasn't well, that was why she was in the hospital, but we didn't know that that was it. That moment is burned into my brain. My sister had a soccer game. My dad got the call that my grandma was being taken to the hospital. My brother and sister are 10 and 13 years younger than me. So I, again, was a senior in high school. I was able to drive all that. So my parents went out to the hospital and my grandparents lived in New Jersey at the time. My sister finished her soccer game. I took her and my brother home and I watched them the rest of the night. Of course, I wanted to see my gram. But from the information that was given to my dad, it didn't seem like oh, this was 
the time. Like, we all needed to come and say goodbye. The way that information was shared was that she was not well and it would be good for them to come see her, but, you know, we'd have some time to, to check in. If my parents were aware that things were going to go down that night the way that they did, we all would have been there to be able to say goodbye. But that night went on and my parents were still not home. Of course, you know, where they had to drive to in Jersey was almost two hours away, but I got the kids to bed and was downstairs on the couch, fell asleep watching TV. Middle of the night, my mom comes in the door. She wakes me up on the couch. I realize that my dad isn't with her, which is very strange. And a very tearful mother shares with me that my gram had passed away. And the thing that I remember thinking was, but I was supposed to go to the hospital tomorrow. Now that side, taking over was probably more my autism. There was a plan. The plan was for me to be there, me to be able to see her, for me to get to say goodbye. Obviously that plan didn't happen. And obviously life doesn't go the way that we plan. Not always at least. But the way I moved forward, the way that I coped with that grief was in a way that no one else in my family quite understood. I needed to see every picture of my gram. I actually had created a slideshow that we then played at the, the wake and the funeral. And I needed that because my memory sucked. I take a lot of pictures for a reason. In fact, the amount of pictures that I've taken was actually a problem with some people in my life before. What the heck, Amanda? Why can't you just enjoy it? Why do you need to be taking all these pictures? And no one ever really understood when I said, I am enjoying it but I'm taking the pictures because I won't remember it. And then I'd always get the slap back of, come on, if you're actually experiencing it, you're gonna remember it. Nope, my memory sucks. I'm an ADHDer. It kind of comes with the territory because when you have a poor working memory, that's the process that's necessary to then convert things into long-term memory. And our working memory is affected by sensory input as well. This is why when you're in the middle of a conversation and you hear a knock at the door, it might kick the thoughts completely out of your head because we can only hold so many things in that working memory. And if other inputs are affecting that, not just the thoughts that we're trying to hold on to, it's going to be very hard for things to translate and process and to get kicked back into that long-term storage. So pictures help. Think about the objects that you hold on to. You probably hold on to them because they're a thing that can trigger a memory for you. Those objects create sensory input, and that sensory input is the piece that helps trigger the memory. And completely unrelated to grief, but great tip for you guys. When you know there's something that you really need to hold on to, if you can create as much sensory input around that moment as possible, that's going to be a helpful thing to pull that memory back later. So if you're studying for some sort of exam, have a candle lit, have, uh, you know, candy, gum, mint, something, that when you go to take that exam, you have the same sense and the same taste. Ooh, and if you listen to like some lo-fi beats in the background, if you can recreate all of those sensory moments, it's going to make it a lot easier to retrieve the information that you were studying. And this is how I connect. This is how I remember. And this is why pictures help me. I see a photo and I see all of the things that I experienced sensory-wise within that photo, and it brings me back to that moment. Until I went through those pictures after losing my gram, I completely forgot that we had all taken a trip to Baltimore together. But then I saw those pictures and remembered being on the bay, going in the paddle boats, visiting the aquarium. All of these moments came back. But without those photos, those moments would have been lost. And the only reason right now that I remembered those moments is because I thought about that picture. The one of my gram and I standing there in front of the water. And that photo is the jumping off point 
for my memory of that day. Our working memory really, really has a lot to do with grief. And I'm going to say the thing out loud that not everyone wants to say. ADHD can make us forget that the person even died. Because as I've talked about with relationships, we can just kind of forget that people exist to begin with. And if that's what we're used to, if we're used to not always being cognizant that this person is there in the world, that can also happen when that person leaves this world. And I know for a fact that that happened when I lost my son. There were mornings where, of course, I woke up and I just dissociated and hoped that it was all a really horrible dream. But there were also mornings where I woke up and forgot that I was no longer pregnant and that it wasn't until I would look down at my flattened stomach and see that there was no longer that little baby boy inside. Now, of course, there's all kinds of other trauma that impacts that whole experience too. But the point is that something that ADHDers do struggle with is actually getting to experience a full grieving process. Because when our grief is interrupted by the rest of the world, you know, having to go back to work, having other bills that need to be paid, other responsibilities coming back in, then that sets us up for another circumstance in which we could forget the moment that just happened, the person that we loved that we just lost. And it may not last more than a moment, but if it's someone that you are not in constant contact with, like my Graham, she lived two hours away. I didn't talk to her every day, but I did talk to her quite often on the phone. But there wasn't as much time face-to-face. -face. There wasn't that constant interaction. And so I went through periods of that grief where I would forget that I was grieving. I would just go about my day as usual, going through high school life, and all of that seemed so much more important than anything else at the time. Also, the end of my senior year was just a nightmare in general. I had no one to support me through my grief. I lost all of my friends due to a different incident that actually had nothing to do with me. Just a bunch of bitchy girls, but that's all besides the point. The rest of the world keeps spinning, and that inertia is such a hard thing for us to combat, especially because we feel like we need to keep spinning too. So you get caught up in it. You get caught back up in real life. And you take that time away from grief, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you are hit with it again. That realization of, oh my God, I lost that person. They're not there anymore. Because you have become so used to not seeing them regularly. So it feels like the normal circumstances that you're used to. It's that object permanence, out of sight, out of mind. But then you do remember. And all at once, all of those big, deep feelings flood. And it's like you're reliving it all, all over again. It's like you never get to fully grieve. You never get to finish that grief process and find some sense of closure and way to live with it because you relive it so frequently. Because, hey, you forgot for a few days or a few weeks, and then all of a sudden, something else pops back into your mind that makes you go, oh my gosh, I, I, don't, I don't have them anymore. And the grief takes over. For the first two weeks, this was every morning when I lost my son. For two solid weeks, I would wake up and forget that I experienced that horrible, traumatic day. And I do think part of that was because I wished so badly that it was just all some terrible nightmare. But either way, I'd wake up, forgot that I wasn't pregnant anymore, 
and then would re-experience the pain that that knowledge brought me every single day for at least two weeks. Because in reality, it definitely happened many, many times after that, but just not as consistently. And honestly, I think the loss of my son is the most consistent grief that I've been able to process through because losing my gram and then losing my pop-up and then losing my great-grandmother, all of that grief kind of compounded in the other ways where it was, I was so used to just not seeing them all the time that a random moment would happen and randomly it would feel like my heart broke again. And again, I know that this is a hard subject, but I also feel that it's important that we talk about these types of things because if we just avoid it, if we don't talk about the hard stuff, then we're never going to be able to talk about the hard stuff. Change doesn't happen sitting still. This is why I've been so open since losing my son about my multiple miscarriages, about his stillbirth, because the only thing that is going to transform that from a taboo topic is talking about it and making it not taboo. And honestly, the neurodivergent community is the best place to talk about this concept because the way that we get neurodiversity, ADHD, autism, bipolar, anxiety, depression, dyslexia, all of these neuro changes, these neuro differences, neurodivergencies, accepted in neurotypical society is by talking about it by making it known that these are more common than everyone realizes. And that if we have a mental health condition, it's not like every single person who has these struggles is a character from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next. The stereotypical versions of what neurodivergent people are painted as is just awful. And we won't be able to destigmatize it unless we share our stories, unless we make it known that, hey, me over here, that y'all think was super normal. My brain's not. It's not normal. And guess what? Normal isn't necessarily a good thing. I'm really proud of my neurodifference. It makes me creative. It makes me spontaneous, sometimes when my autism lets it. But the autism also makes me super detail-oriented, which actually builds upon that creativity, which I love. It gives me these fun quirks to my personality. But like anything, it's not all black and white. It's not just good. It's not just bad. There are shades of gray in the middle. There are places that these things meet as one. And people won't see that unless we talk about it. People won't understand how we experience grief unless we talk about it. And I know there are people who maybe are listening right now that aren't going to like me saying that because grief is uncomfortable. And when we have these deep feelings around grief, that can make it even more uncomfortable, especially if we have stuff that we haven't had an opportunity to fully process and work through. But 50% of life is uncomfortable. I mean, yes, yeah, some people have fun working for a living. I enjoy my job. I love it very much. But I've had plenty of other jobs in the past that I haven't loved, but I still had to go. I still had to do the uncomfortable thing. I didn't want to, but I had bills to pay. I had to keep a roof over my head. I had to put food in my belly. 50% of life is uncomfortable, and it will only be more uncomfortable if we don't start to destigmatize these big chunks of our lives. I have lost friends over my pregnancy loss. After I shared about my son, I probably lost at least 20 fake friends on Facebook. 
But I've also lost friends over me not having another child. I've had people that were in support groups that were experiencing what I experienced that they went on to have rainbow babies and I didn't. And that had its own kind of grief. Feeling like the last person left, the last one standing, is not always a good feeling. Sure, being the last one standing when, <laughs> I don't know, there's a zombie apocalypse, hey, I survived. Cool, I guess. But being the last one left with no child in your arms, it's uncomfortable. But it's my reality. And right now, there's nothing I can do to change that. Not now. There are things that can be done in the future, but those things take time. So that piece of my reality is uncomfortable. I am the mother of an angel baby. I have had five other miscarriages on top of that. Those are facts about my life and who I am. And just because they are uncomfortable does not change the experiences that I've had. My gosh, I wish that I could change those things. I wish that I would have at least one of my children with me here on earth. But I don't have a DeLorean. I can't change it. But holding it in, not talking about it, that's just as unfair as the loss that I experienced. I deserve to be able to talk about my children, especially my son. I held my son. I gave birth to my son. Uncomfortable is part of life. And uncomfortable creates avoidance in ADHD, which is another complication that can occur with grief, where we can avoid even touching the grieving process because we see the massive amount of pain behind it. And as a way to protect ourselves, we think, well, I'll just avoid it. I'll just work around it. I, I won't touch it with a 10-foot pole. But just because we avoid it does not mean that it's gone away. Actually, on the subject of avoidance, I had a credit card bill. And it actually ties in perfectly because this credit card bill came right before I lost my son. I had $25 left on this credit card. Only credit card I've ever had. So I got $25 left. I lose my son. I did not pay my credit card bill. I did not pay the cable bill that month. I'm lucky the electric got paid because I didn't have the capacity. I worked through the, the cable internet thing because, yeah, that, that needed to be worked through. That couldn't be avoided after the two months of me forgetting about it because I was so devastated. But that $25 bill, it was small. The late fees, they weren't that big the first month, not even the second month. So I avoided and I kept avoiding, and I avoided a little more. Because eventually it became this uncomfortable thing that when I saw that Synchrony Bank letter come in the mail, I didn't even open it because I knew, shoot, I never paid that. I knew the fees were racking up. I knew that I made a mistake, and the fact that I made that mistake was uncomfortable, regardless of the circumstance that led me to that mistake. I had a very reasonable circumstance that led me to missing the first month or two. And the ADHD tax on those first two months would have been much better than the ADHD tax that resulted when they finally decided to ship that $25 bill to collections. Can you guess how much the bill was by that point? $412. I avoided month after month and the fees kept collecting because I was uncomfortable with the fact that I forgot. But me being uncomfortable and me avoiding it didn't make it go away. It actually made it so much worse for me. And a lot of us fall into this trap because we have a brain that is seeking out the good stuff. 
why do I want to touch that thing that doesn't feel good? Why do I want to go and be uncomfortable when I can go over here and I can go and get the dopamine from TikTok or I can go and get the dopamine from Xbox or I can go and get the dopamine from watching The Office for the 50th time. That was actually um, the, the avoidance of choice for me because I would just dissociate on the couch every single night and repeat The Office seasons over and over and Parks and Rec over and over because that felt better for my brain. It felt better than admitting that I made a mistake. It felt better than admitting that I still hadn't done something that was raking up all of these fees, racking up all of these fees, whatever. I hadn't done the uncomfortable thing and had an almost $400 ADHD tax added on because I didn't want to touch the discomfort. So I guess this is me encouraging you to work through the discomfort. There are definitely times where if we don't have to be uncomfortable, if it's not something that has to be done, we can certainly make changes and accommodations so that we don't have to feel bad. But then there are the $412 credit card bills that if I had allowed myself to just be uncomfortable while I paid it, maybe I only would have had like $60 in fees instead of a bill that then went on my credit report. If you are struggling with avoidance, if you are struggling with discomfort, you are not alone. And if grief is creating that discomfort and avoidance, you are not alone there either. But you also won't know that you're not alone until you start sharing. I openly share about my ADHD and autism now because I won't find my people if I just sit there hoping to find my people. I find my people by talking to you guys. I find my people by telling you, hey, over here, I'm neurospicy. And to my people here listening that have made it so far through this episode, through the discomfort, thank you for being with me. Thank you. That is it for today, guys. Thank you so much for joining me for another episode of Coordinating Chaos with the ADHD Lady. I'm your host, Amanda, the ADHD Lady. And as usual, if you have any questions, concerns, anything you'd like to see on the podcast next week, feel free to shoot me a message over at theadhdlady at gmail.com or head over to my website, theadhdlady.org. Thanks again for joining, guys. This is Amanda, signing off.